Hello and welcome back to Paragliding Banter, part two with Kelly Farina. Uh, there was so much to talk about last time that we were unable to finish in in one go, and I'm so excited. Uh, I learned a lot uh, from uh, the last chat we had, and uh, we continue recording. It's just that it's being presented in in uh, two episodes, and this is the second one. And uh, let's just get into it. Uh, Kelly is here. Kelly, welcome back, and thank you for staying on. Yeah, no worries. So, uh, Kelly, we, last time uh, in the last episode, we spoke about uh, a lot of things, especially thermaling and, and the weather and security and how it's important for uh, pilots to really learn about uh, flying in, in a smoother way, learning about weather before they go flying so they know what kind of day it would be. It's, it was very interesting and, and fascinating. I want to move on and ask you about the changes that are happening in our industry uh you you see a lot of new gliders come in the design has changed if you uh, see that there are a lot more options available in enb so a person who's progressing from a school glider or an ena now has a choice uh, of three gliders um which is the low mid and high enb which is an obvious progression so there are now two progressions it's not an enb progression it's an enb low or probably an ENB mid and high, the next progression. So there are two progressions this pilot is doing. And the same thing with C, you have the C two liners coming in. So my question now is uh, the design of gliders like Rook 3 has got a flatter design. It cuts through the air faster, uh, but it's in ENB, uh, high ENB. Uh, in terms of progression, what do you think about these changes for a, for a pilot? Um, interesting question. Um, I'm not really the most technically up to date with gliders that are on the market. Um, all I can see is that um, they're on the right track. The aspect ratio on the lower gliders um, has not been ridiculously stretched as it was a few years ago. So it's getting more handleable, I suppose. Um, these hybrids with the two and a half lines, only a good thing potentially. Um, don't know too much about them. Um, two liners on a C, interesting. Um, I think that as long as pilots are realistic in their expectations um, and fly a glider that isn't too demanding, then um, for their for their skill level, because there is a difference in the classes, there is a difference, and it's not linear. Um, it's, in my opinion, it's exponential how demanding a glider is for the character for the um, the demanding characteristics for the actual uh, um, what level it's aimed at. Um, and sometimes pilots, again, I don't want to keep pointing at the pilots. We're talking about designs. Um, sometimes pilots feel that it's the glider that makes the difference. When in reality, uh, if the pilot was wringing all of the performance out of the glider that they own, they would potentially fly much better than if they flew a more uh, demanding glider 
um, with, you know, with mixed results because potentially um, they're getting their observation. Our secret weapon is observation. They're getting their secret weapon of observation stolen from them right. because it's they're not free to look for the next move, to not look for the, the guy climbing better 200, 300 meters away from them or a bird climbing or a cloud forming because the glider is shouting at them and it's very difficult for them to notice things when the ENC that they're potentially on in strong air is distracting a lot of their bandwidth away from the chess game. So I'm, I'm the wrong person to talk about uh, gliders, really. Uh, I would suggest a person to talk about that would be Zayed, Zayed, Zayed right? Yeah. Uh, this guy has yeah, way yeah. more experience about gliders. I don't make the gliders. I just fly yeah. them. So I'll be honest with you. If I don't know something, I'll just tell you I don't know. Zayed Basil of Dust of the Universe. He yes, of course. Yes. Um, I, I, yeah. I understand that there is a difference in um, characteristics. I understand that there's a, a difference in, demand, in uh, how demanding they are. And it's up to the pilot, really, to you yeah. know, know their level. So uh, what's coming up or what I've heard from other pilots who want to uh, move on to other gliders is, I will fly better if I move on to a, to a higher glider, which is not true. Well, I think I just touched on that. Yeah, huh? you you touched on that. So that I'll just reiterate. This is that. a common misconception yeah. because if you look at the sink rate of a, uh, so let's just talk about firmaling. Yeah, right. Um, there is a difference in handling. Okay, so a let's just say I'm going to use the words low and high bees. Okay, let's just say right. It's just low and high bees. Um, so a low bee is not as slippery as a higher bee. So a higher B tends to be more dragged into a thermal, right. okay? And a lower B gives the pilot, because it's designed for uh, less experienced pilots, gives them time and it kind of knocks them back, right? Right. So what I've found flying, because I've flown pretty much all the different gliders over the years, what I've found is that with the lower B, the, the, the entry to a thermal can be delayed which means your ability to turn, because you can't turn when the glider is behind you, you have to wait for it to come forward, break it. And then you, in, the tight, in the tighter stuff, down the cone of disadvantage, the lower you get in a thermal, you know, the, the, the more difficult it gets, it gets narrower, doesn't get wider, it's not a pyramid. Um, so sometimes it's a little bit frustrating. I understand that when the glider gets knocked back, and you have to wait for it to come forward before you can uh, check the energy and then initiate the turn. Um, this is obviously better on the higher level gliders. Right. Okay. That's what, uh, that's, that's, that's a given. Okay. But if you aren't ready for that amount of information, okay. So say you'll come out of school and you take, that particular grabby glider rather than yeah. the glider that gives you time right right it won't help because what i've seen is that in pilots start getting nervous when they enter thermals because the glider gets pulled forwards right, right. so as yeah. it gets pulled forward it starts it, it it raises their heart rate it makes them stiff and what right. I've, what i see then is that a pilot can become almost scared of the glider that they end up flying around with too much brake on because they're 
and they, they end up choking it. So any performance gain that they had, especially in air where there's a lot of echo, where there's a lot of uh, stability, where the thermals tend to echo away, the, the, the turbulence echoes away from the climb and the, and the air is moving around. Right. And when they get close to strong thermals, they're always getting constantly dragged in. And you see them on a ridge just with their hands down here stiff because potentially they're nervous that the glider keeps biting forwards, then potentially that glider is not the right match for them. Right. Okay. Right. Um, that level. Having said that, there is better, better handling, um, more direct, more precise on the higher Bs than the lower Bs. Right. Um, I prefer to fly a higher B or a more slippery glider because I like to be drawn into the thermal rather than be batted out and then right. drawn in. Um, I understand why the designers do it. It's for a safety and um, to build confidence, right? Right. Um, yeah, I think that's what you are asking, the difference. So, so, and, and, so yeah, I wanted to get back to the sink rate. Right. So there is a difference in performance, uh, entry performance on these gliders, but the actual sink rate between these two in a thermal is not actually that much. Let's just say it's like yeah. one or two centimeters a second. Right. That's a, sorry, uh, a three to five centimeters a second. That's not a That's big not deal, much, right? Yeah. That's maybe two or three percent. So, so if that makes the difference and keeps you calm, I think what makes the difference is the ability to open and close the carve right. in the right direction. Right. And the way you can do that is by having your eyes open and your observation on point rather than staring eight meters above us right. at the thing that's shouting at you. <laughs> yeah. Distracting yeah. you from your from your from yeah. your game, right? Yeah, it has to become um, second nature and trust the glider and, and get into it. And if you can manage that and then, being yeah. able to trust the glider when you yeah. go into light lee sides, being able to trust the glider when you um, are going towards the terrain. I've seen pilots time and time again on my courses that are potentially flying a glider that's a bit noisy for their level. Right. Um, and they will take climbs further away from the ridge. So let's just say there's a bowl. Right. A big bowl where we fly. It's very committing. It's after a long crossing and normally you get low. Right. So you have to go, sometimes you get low in this bowl and you have to go quite deep um, to get out. Right. When I see pilots that are flying gliders that are potentially a little bit noisy for their level, as I've said, they will take the first weak climbs that they bump into. Whether they get out in those weak climbs, it's probably 50-50. But I feel that it's like a, a reaction, like a north a north magnet. Right. It's pushing they don't the really go together. So the ridge and the pilot, they don't, they're looking for a right. way not to get right. close in. Right. Um, so they try and take the weaker climbs that give them more breathing room further out, which is fine. But maybe if they were on a less noisy glider that they trusted implicitly, they would just follow me into the bowl and ping out. Right in the in 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 the, in the part of the terrain that has all of the confluences that you are going for. Right, I get what you're saying. It's it's 
ultimately come down to being comfortable on your glider and, and concentrate more on observation and being in that uh, moment rather than worrying about, oh my, what's this glider doing? I'm getting scared. Exactly. I don't want to be here. I want to get out. Which brings so, me to, to, sorry, you were saying something? So, so that basically just sums up what you said that when pilots say, I'm going to get this, the latest ah, hot yeah. ship. I mean, but this is not a new problem. Huh? This yeah. has been a problem since I started paraglide. Right. This is just a human problem. This isn't a, uh, a generational problem. Yeah. So I think it's got to do with peer pressure, with what others are doing, what their progress has been. Comparison and also and marketing. Stuff, yeah. yeah. Don't forget yeah. marketing has got <laughs> yeah. a massive part to play. Yeah. You know, uh, and it's a consumer culture. Yeah. And we all think that instead of looking in the mirror, I mean, this is the same for everything. everything yeah. Look at mountain bikes. You can like buy a mountain bike with titanium grub screws in the derailleur. It's not going to help you go up the hill one <laughs> yeah. millisecond more, but yeah. it's just going to be more expensive. It's, it's, yeah. it's just people buy stuff. Yeah, um, yeah we, we sort of they yeah. feel that it's going to help them. Yeah, we're sort of uh, gear junkies. Also, we like to buy the stuff and see what happens exactly. and keep storing them and trying to see what makes out of, what we make out of it. But yeah, you're right. It's it's ultimately There's nothing wrong with it until yeah. Yeah. until it starts to. Uh, make pilots go backwards true if it makes you go backwards you have to look in the mirror and be the adult in the room huh? yeah so that's that uh, this is leading to another question uh, is uh, sometime during a pilot's uh, tenure career or experience of flying comes a moment when they exceed their uh, level of uh, flying with the kind of glider that they choose or get into a situation where they get spooked, fear sets in, right? And uh, when fear sets in, these pilots usually, and I, I have been in this situation and that's why I talk about it. I'm not taking any names, but I know, and I, when I see this attribute out in, into, in somebody's uh, flying, I know what's happening. They sort of tend to make excuses to land early. They tend to make excuses why they were not in the thermal but the point is that you got to accept that you are spooked and you need to work on it. And jumping onto a higher glider quickly could also lead to that. And according to me, I think the best solution for that is to do an SIV and get to know your glider and learn all the techniques to get out of it. What helped me was getting into acro and throwing the wing around and learning my bit. And I came back a little bit more confident, but it took me about a year and a half. Uh, what's your view on this? I think it comes back to understanding the day again. Um, I feel that pilots are too desperate to go out in all conditions. Right. Um, have fear of missing out of particular thermals. Um, they see some people dive into a lee side, ping out, and uh, they might get stuck somewhere. They go in, boom, they have a problem. Um, but... Um, It's, it's basically you need I to spend do more understand. Time in the I, I, I think it's understanding the day, understanding right. the day, understanding where you can and cannot fly. Right. This is more important than what you're flying, in my opinion. Okay. Um, I've heard pilots that have come out with me in the past. I've said, I'm not going out. I think it's this, that, and the other. There's some stable layers. Um, the wind is being squeezed on the hill. And 
some pilots reaction to me not going out or saying i'm not going out they said it's all right i've done an siv okay, okay. Uh, that for me is um yeah kind of a bit of a blinkered view right. i don't want to uh say what i really think about that <laughs> but i honestly think that there is no longevity in going out in everything hoping that what you did over a lake in calm air Right. With your glider doing stuff that you are inducing, um, as opposed to when you find yourself in a real life situation because you've made a mistake going into the lee on a day that you shouldn't have left the hill. Right. Now relying on the passive safety of your equipment and thinking because you've done an SIV, uh, there's a big difference between when your glider collapse when you pull an a riser on your glider and the part that's flying on the part that's flying is traveling at x kilometers an hour and you're in you are inducing x amount of rotational inertia okay as opposed to when a leaf thermal snatches your nose forward slaps part of it out of the sky now this part that's moving is moving at x times three the speed of which it was, uh, what would you call it, uh, certified. And then you expect it not to bite you in the ass. <laughs> Do you understand the difference? Yeah. So true. But because you yeah. can put a bee glider in the lee side thermal, yeah. a collapse can happen. Right. Because the glider collapsed with way more energy than was induced in the tests. Right. That now it's no longer an EMB. Correct. It's completely different. Because the glider, although it's not pitched, you know, it's yeah. not it's not out of trim or whatever, right. it's just moving too fast for the amount of rotational inertia. And then all bets are off. Right. So I feel that instead of going out with this chocolate shield right. and hoping uh, that, the, that your level... I would say it's better to do one than not do one, but right. also to understand the... Um, understand the implications of if you start just flying everywhere with your blinkers on because you feel that you're invincible, invincible. because you've done this, yes. these maneuvers over a lake in Carmel, over the sea in Carmel. Um, I don't want to be down on SIV, but I just think it needs to be taken um, as part of your, as part of your precautionary measures, right. but not as important as going out on a the right day, understanding that going out on a July day at one o'clock in the afternoon with layers of stability beyond a joke in strong winds and then flying in the lee of that condition, then an you're, starting to, you're starting to <laughs> yeah. win the lottery, you know? Yeah. And it's not a good thing to win yeah. the lottery in that situation. Yeah, I understand. So yeah, you eventually will get into doing all the. And obviously, the, the longer you do that, yeah, the longer you do that, the more risks you take. Yeah. So you choose um, the name. Yeah, you you, and then you end up being that pilot that you just mentioned. That's the best case scenario. Yeah. You're talking about that pilot that got spooked as opposed right. to getting hurt. Right. So understanding the day, understanding. Um, where you can and cannot fly. If any of you have uh, done skiing, I lived in a ski resort for 18 years, and I know a lot of people who've done avalanche courses. Right. Now, 
an avalanche course doesn't enable you to just go everywhere on the mountain afterwards. It cuts everything off on the terrain, but the piece of the terrain that you're looking at is safe. Right. Okay, and let's try and get your head around that with paragliding. So you're flying the right glider on the right day for your level and in the right places in that site. Coming to this realization itself is a lot of maturity and a lot of understanding needed to be yes. in the right place to fly the glider, which even if it means that stepping back from the glider that you're flying to be in your level of flying. And there is no harm in accepting that, okay, my skills are not up to that level and I would like to build on them slowly. So self-acceptance and self-evaluation is also sort of important because I have personally gone through it. I came back from an SIV and I thought I was invincible. And uh, at my home ground and my home site, very low coming in for landing, I find the glider right in front of me. And uh, I have no idea how that happened. And uh, that really opened up my eyes. I said, no, this is not going to help because I don't have the altitude. And, uh, and, and, and with all the training that I went through just a few days ago, it never occurred to me that I need to throw the reserve. That was not first thing in my mind. The first thing was I need to, I need to sort this. So it, it, it sort of teaches you, your experiences teach you and you're lucky enough to learn and be able to fly. But sometimes you learn the hard way. So I, I really appreciate what you just mentioned about being on I the think, right day. I think people need to understand that flying is a privilege just because you took a day off doesn't give you carte blanche or for want of a better word, uh, God's given right to fly on that particular day. <laughs> be humble, be un understand that um, it's a privilege. We cannot just sure. go out when we demand it. Um, we should go out when, you know, especially in somewhere like the Dolomites or uh, where the good days line up when the planets line up. You know, it's not right. that often. But if you go there, you would think that every day was a classic cross-country day, the amount of people that are throwing themselves off the mountain, despite it being thunderstorms, fern, uh, strong winds. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think I've spoken enough about this. It's, yeah. it's, it comes down to the pilot and to be the adult in the room, whether it's your glider choice or... Uh, to say, yeah, today I'm, I'm going to pick my map. I'm going to pick my battle. And today is not the day I'm going out. Yeah, even though if my friends are going out or if they've made the decision or somebody else is going out, I don't feel comfortable. So I should be strong enough. I'll yeah. leave the hill. Yeah, I'll leave the hill. I'll go down in the van. So I'm not going out, guys. I mean, it's up to you. I always say, do I think that you will fall in a big, big black hole? The answer is no. But uh, is it fun? No. No. I know what it feels like. And I know what a good day looks like. Yeah. there and this is not what it looks like so i'm going down it's up to you what you do with that you're all uh, over 18 and vaccinated do, do what you want <laughs> and i don't mean that in the current sense i mean that I in uh, the biblical sense yeah i understand but that's that's true <laughs> and i i really appreciate when people make that choice and say no you know what i'm walking back or i'm taking the car back i'm not even flying down uh on, on our to go side. out yeah yeah choose your battles and, and if you want to take a day off, take a day off, even if it's a good day and if you don't feel like it. And there are a lot of other things also that matter. Uh, lack of sleep, what you've had the previous day, uh, a lot of things are happening. A lot of people are ha uh, having a lot of substances and flying. 
it's it's each their own but uh, yeah if you don't feel like it, don't do it oh, that's sure. that's the key thing exactly all right cool uh now that we're talking about changes uh and how we are adapting to changes uh i would like to know kelly uh we want to get a lot more from you is there a mastering paragliding part two uh, yeah, I'm working on it at the moment. Funny you should mention it. Wow, am, uh, really? It's it's stuff that we couldn't talk about in the first one okay. because obviously there wasn't enough pages. Right. Um, I've gone into deeper detail on some of the stuff that we've already discussed in the first book and touched on new subjects, uh, there's a chapter of Mythbusters. I'm talking about skewtees. Yeah. Um, talking about oh, you know, like how to extend triangles in the flatlands, glide angles, uh, speed. We go deeper nice. into how to fly faster. Um, yeah, there's a lot of stuff in there actually. I'm really happy. I'm about halfway through. Wow, I've done all exciting. the, I've done all the chapters. It's just a case of fleshing them all out. I've done all the the notes for them. Um, I've got some prolific pilots in sport have agreed to, uh, I don't want to mention any names now, but uh, they're going to, they've agreed to do the same as uh, Russell did and Stefan and Tom and Debu in the first nice. one. They're going to write like a footnote for the, for the uh, topics that we've spoke about. Nice. So um, yeah, but don't expect it anytime soon. Um, I would say in the last one took what, six years? I started this one about three years ago, so I reckon there's another two or three years left in it. Well, this is exciting. Uh, I'm, I'm sure our audience right now is uh, pretty excited to know that uh, part two is coming up, Mastering Paragliding Part Two, and it'll cover uh, more topics in and more uh, in a deeper fashion. So really can't wait, uh, Kelly. It's, it's really exciting. And it's so nice that we uh, announced this on uh, Paragliding Banter, amazing. I really like this and I can't <laughs> wait. <laughs> so, so uh, uh, Kelly, this podcast is just for the community. It's not commercial. Uh, we don't, I don't make anything out of it. It's just for, for us to share the knowledge with, uh, with, uh, with the team uh, of pilots that we fly with and everybody else. And a lot of people actually hear us in all across the world, uh, mostly the UK, Europe, uh, US, and there are lots of other places that I see the analytics. So yeah, this is going to go pretty far i guess yeah, it's so, international for sure yeah, yeah. so uh, i want to ask you one last question and uh, this is uh, i don't know how to approach this uh, so that it makes it it seems more meaningful for you but this is something that i struggle with i struggle with uh, with valleys and understanding valley systems because where we fly predominantly in in india uh, we really don't have that many valleys unless you go into the back part of, uh, of beer. Uh, when we hear uh, all the, uh, uh, all the <clears throat> let's say a podcast or uh, anything that we read or we see the videos about valley winds and, and phone winds and uh, how you look at what you're flying into in that valley and expect those winds to come. It's, it's all new to me. It, it it, I've really not experienced it. What do you think is the difference or what should a pilot that usually who flies 
in areas that we do where there are no valleys should know about this when we go flying let's say to uh, to spain or in in france or the alps well the depending on the time of year um valley winds should definitely be respected um like I spoke about in the book, so you need to understand where there are constrictions. Um, the most important thing is, so the time of year, so between May and early September is when the valley winds are going to be active, okay? Um, a pilot should really understand the depth of the valley wind at which he or she is flying in, understand the direction. Uh, I spoke about that in the book, that's also pretty much 99% of the time, maybe 99.9% .9 of the time is in the opposite direction to the river flow. Okay. Okay. Uh, they flow into the Alps while the rivers flow out of the Alps. Um, and understand at what time of day for that time of year do they become critical, i.e. above 15 to 20 kilometers an hour, because you do not want to be putting yourself into rotor lease sides um, after long, long valley crossings or pushing along a ridge into the valley, uh, into the valley flow, which is probably not the best thing to do if you're following the flow of the day going into a valley flow um, in a part of your flight when the valley wind is strong. That's not how I would do it. Um, but if you cross a valley and you end up low on the other side, obviously, because it's a long crossing, um, you need to avoid the lee sides of a wind that is 15 to 20 kilometers an hour. 15 is okay, 20 starts to become sporty, but anything over 20, um, yeah, you, that's where people generally get thrown around and land soon after. Okay. Um, so that's probably the most important thing is avoid lee sides Got in it. valley wind systems. Got it. Understand so where the wind is being pushed yeah. up. I mean, in the in the book, I talk about um, the four faces, right, and bridge bridge, bridge principle. Route. Yeah. So for me, it's quite simple how I explain bridge. Uh, how I explain um, the four faces. I always started like this: that every tree in every valley system in um, finds itself on one of the four faces. Okay. So there are, the four faces would be an interwind face, which I call a bridge. That's why it's called bridge theory. So it's interwind. The other one is flush, which doesn't mean you're going to get flushed. It just means that it's flush with the wind. Okay. And these ones are try not trying to hurt you and not trying to help you. And then you have uh, rotor lee sites, which is what I just spoke about. And then you have, and then you have um, protected lee sites. So right. these are the four faces. And whenever you are crossing the valley wind into an area where, where you're going to come into a valley wind, um, you need to search out bridges that are into wind faces. And then use them to navigate yourself and well, because yeah. the valley floor is where the yeah. thermals are coming from. Right. They're getting dragged towards the, uh, they're getting pushed towards the hill. Um, hopefully the hill has some sun on it as well. And there you're going to find, if you wait there long enough, you're going to find a thermal with your name on it that's laminar that didn't get 
formed right. in an area of rotor because air has mass, air has weight. Um, if you churn up an air mass, when it leaves that particular area, it doesn't become a laminar airflow. It takes a long time for it to calm down. You know, air has inertia. One cubic meter of air is 1.2 kilos. So uh, thermals can weigh up to oh, wow. a quarter of a million tons of air. Oh, wow. you know? Yeah. So once they, start moving, yeah. once they start moving, yeah. they are, and, and you give them a, a, a rotation and a, and, right. a, and a twist, then it doesn't just, just because it's left the hill doesn't mean it's going to calm down. Okay, so, so it's, it's all good to hear uh, this from you, but I would really want to fly with you. And if I want to do that, or if any of our uh, listeners want to uh, sign up with a course with you and learn all these things, uh, where can we do this? Do you, do you hold courses now? Yeah, we co hold courses. We've been doing it the, again after COVID. That was the uh, first question you asked me, what we've been doing. So the last uh, four months, in Italy, we're based in Bassano del Grappa. So we've been doing courses down there. Um, we do two courses there. We do an intro to XC okay. and we do a pure XC, which is obviously more advanced. Right. Um, we also do an Alpine course in Greifenberg. And this is for pilots who are ready to fly in the Alps, who can basically stay with us on the pure XC courses in Bassano. And you'll find out all the details on masteringparagliding.com. And okay. there the, the free courses are, are laid out there. Awesome. So we can sign up over there and uh, get all the information on masteringparagliding.com. Yep. Masteringparagliding.com. Awesome. Like, like the book. It's basically a lot of the stuff from the, from the book and uh, a lot of the stuff that we talk about on the new book, which I've called The Lost Files, by the way. Oh, nice. That's going to be the new title, The Lost Files. That's the new title, Mastering Paragliding, The Lost Files, or The Lost Chapters. I've got to speak to XC Mag first. Right. Well, all the best, uh, Kelly, for uh, your book. And uh, I think it's time to end this now. And I really appreciate you taking the time. You've had some technical glitches and you've been patient enough uh, through it. I really... Uh, oh, no uh, problem. Thank <laughs> you for that. And... Uh, like I said, you're pretty popular where we fly and uh, with, with all our uh, pilots around. And we keep talking about what you uh, have mentioned in the book as well as your uh, information on YouTube. So thank you very much for uh, helping us with our flying. Uh, although we have never met and we are just seeing each other for the first time probably on, on this call now. But I look, really look forward to meeting you probably in one of your courses and uh, get to fly with you. No worries, thank it was fun. Much. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me, yeah? Thank you so much. Thanks a lot, guys. Guys, thank you. Okay. Uh, thanks, Kelly. And thank you, everyone, for uh, listening in to part two of uh, this paragliding banter episode with uh, uh, Kelly. And uh, we will look, uh, we will see you in, or rather, I will see you in the next episode on paragliding banter. Thank you for listening in. Bye-bye.